All right, so uh, last week we started kind of a little just two-week series, and uh, the first part of this was what does it mean to be missional? Because one of the things we're talking about as a church is that every single one of us in this room is by design a missional theologian. Everybody is a missional theologian. Now, that might sound a little bit like an inflated title, but it's not. And so last week we looked at what it means to be missional, what it means to bless our city, do good to our city, be here for the benefit of the city in the name of Jesus, carrying the gospel of Jesus, being proud of Jesus, right? That was missional. Today is what it means to be a theologian. Because each of us are called to that process, that task, that mandate, that, that sense of investment in life. And I don't want us to get too, too freaked out by the idea that we're using this word theologian. Because really, when we say that and we look at our backpack here, the theologian aspect is scripture and this rope. It's us rallying together, tying together around God's word so that it might shape us, motivate us, stimulate us, change us, thrust us forward into the world with grace and truth and love and hope. All the things that we want to bring to bear on our environment, right? So last week was the pack and the squirt gun. Today is the Bible and the rope. And as we started off today, we're going to start it off the best way I know how with a test. Everybody loves a test, all right? And this test is easy because you cannot fail this test academically. Socially, though, I hope that wasn't a 420 Club guy. All right, so, uh, run, bro. All right, so, uh, I'm going to get in trouble. All right, so, but you can fail socially, and I want to warn you that you can fail socially, just not academically, which is a happy thing. And this is a reaction test, all right? It's reactive. It's group participation. You all need to be a part of it. And here's the simple rule. When something comes up, I just want to hear your reaction. That's it. And don't worry, there's no shock value. It's not one of those terrible videos that says, work the maze, and then the scary thing jump. Not that, all right? So, um, I love you too much. So, um, so it's just a reactive test. You'll get a feel pretty quickly, and all I need you to do is react appropriately as a group. So let's bring up the first image. Wow. Didn't see that totally coming, actually. So, all right. But you got a baseline, all right? So now bring up the second image. what I thought. All right, so now you're getting the game, right? Academically can't fail, socially might lose friends. All right, so uh, let's bring up the next one. You get a sense, just react. Can I tell you, that also at least makes me happy to know that, that American football is still on top of European football and global football. I did not... I'm not, no, I'm not, I wasn't even, I'm just on the fly. I was, that wasn't even scripted. I take that back. All right, so, uh, just, you know, America. All right, so, um, good reaction so far. Now, 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 the pattern's going to change up a little bit, but I, but I think you guys can do well still. So let's go ahead and bring up the next one for your reaction. Uh, okay, bring the other one up. 
Yay! Where do you people live? Really? Where do you live? You live in Microsoft World. You, that's a no-brainer. You just cheer for Bing. You just do that because you're going to lose friends. All right. So, um, next one. Bring up the next one. All right, bring up the other one. Okay. <laughs> A house divided can't stand. All right, so we have to going to have to pick our options there wisely. Okay, now this is this is a good one. This is an easy one. Bring up the next ones. And the other one? You know what's awesome about this, too? It's a double entendre. We cheered for the dog and booed for the cat. So, um, I got my way. So, um, and then the last one, because we do have our friends in Woodenville as well. Ah! You guys are so good at this. All right. Besides, I mean, you look at Woodenville. They have the Olympic torch. These guys have braids, all right? So it's like Willie Nelson with a horned hat. That's not, is what it is. So, all right. So all of that tests to say when we see things, they trigger emotions, right? Especially things where we know something about it. We have a commitment to it. And therefore, when it pops up, if it's the Seahawks, woohoo! If it's the Steelers, boo, right? Because there's something in us that is already owned, what that's all about, right? We've made the investment. We've tethered ourselves to it. And so when it comes into our life, immediately it's a response. Immediately. And see, when I think about this whole idea of what it means to be a theologian, I look at it from this perspective, right? What it means to be a worshiper, to be invested to such a degree that when we come in contact with that stuff, that information, that thought, it immediately triggers something in us. Something of adoration, something of excitement, something of enthusiasm, something of want, See, all of this reaction that we've experienced this morning and we've been a part of and had some fun with is, is, is built into us by design. I don't know if we fully realize that. We sometimes think it's just emotional reaction because there's something we really like. But actually, in the composite of our person, there is this core within us that is true. And that is the simple fact that we... When God made us, when God designed us, when God set us in place, He made us for worship. He made us for worship. I mean, that's actually the emotion that you were experiencing to some degree as you saw those things. It's this thing that's just in you. See, we're not simply made to worship. I mean, that'd be really simple, right? See, but we're made for. The difference is this. If you said we're made to worship, that's a function of our person. To say that we are made for worship is the very core of our being. Right? Like when God designed us, he says, I'm going to give them eyes and hands and feet and they're going to be able to talk and walk and interact and they're going to be able to marry and have children and make a lot of noise. And, you know, they're going to be able to do all of that 
but I've made them for worship. I've made them for this thing in them that will swell up, pour out, and celebrate me. See, that's what we were made for, to do. That is the reason for our being. And see, the simple truth is, everybody worships. Everybody worships. Right? Anytime we pour ourselves out for a person, a place, a thing, a success, an achievement, an education, uh, whatever, money, fame, sport, academics, whatever it is. When we pour ourselves completely, when we feel it, when we want it, when we're hungry for it, when we want more of it, that is just worship coming to bear on the environment. And therefore, everybody worships. The atheist worships, the agnostic worships, the Christian worships, the Muslim worships, the I don't even know what I'm doing still worships. Everybody worships, everybody pours out, everybody becomes hungry, everybody invests with knowledge, takes ownership, and then gets excited. And that is that little program that God wrote into us, which is the chief end of humanity, is to worship. And see, I say all of that because, again, I think it goes back to the essence of what this is all about. The essence of what a theologian really is. The essence of why we exist. And when Jesus came into the world, he came to give some direction to that. Right? So when he comes into the world and he lives and he serves and he cares and he confronts and he challenges and he says, follow me or don't follow me. And he does all of that and then he's slaughtered and he's buried and he rises and he ascends. All of that was for the chief end of fixing this thing called worship. To give us a due north, to give us the north star of where we put the worship. In fact, there's this great scene in John chapter 4 where Jesus is in the marketplace, right? Basically, he's out in the open. He's out where people go. He's not at the synagogue. He's not at a local church. He's not at a religious spot. He's at a well where everybody comes to get their water every day. And he's hanging out at this well, waiting for somebody to come by. And sure enough, a person does. A very unlikely person, a Samaritan, not well appreciated by Jewish culture, a woman a lot of times undermined in that particular environment. More than that, she's been married five times and currently lives with a guy. In that world, all the way around, unlikely candidate for Jesus saying, I want to reveal to you what worship is. But he says it to this woman, this imperfect woman who is greeted by a perfect God who says, I want to tell you about worship. And so in John chapter 4, Jesus tells her, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, with sincerity and with clarity, he says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This is revolutionary. Revolutionary, because everybody up to that point, worship was religion. Worship was duty. Worship was burden. Worship was do this or die. And then Jesus says, oh, but the Father, what He really, really wants, more than religion, more than burden, more than duty, 
is people who worship out of gratitude, out of appreciation, out of thankfulness, out of true praise from the heart, because it flows from the heart and it's rooted in the word of God. He says, ah, that's that's what the father wants. See, that is the heart of the true worshiper. And I go so far as to say that is the heart of the theologian. Theologians are worshipers. Because the word worship literally means worth-ship. Worth-ship. In other words, when we worship God, when we worship Jesus, when we come together and we sing, what we're doing is we're saying we see the worth. We see the value. Literally in the Old Testament, the idea meant weight. We see the weightiness of our God. The value of who he is. And that's what we understand about Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, he shows us God. He shows us God's value. He shows us God's worth. He shows us God's person. In fact, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. It says in verse 14, So the Word became human and made His home among us. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, that's Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is what I mean again about when it comes to worship and being theologians. When we see, when we know, when we take hold, that expresses worship. Just as much as when we see a team and then we know its stats and it's kind of its focus, and then from that it, it leashes passion, or when we get to know a person and then we commit to the person and then we really fall in love and we celebrate them, that releases this passion. Those are, again, expressions of a type of, of worshipfulness. And Jesus says, well, I came into the world so you could see, so you could come to grips with and know, so that you might express. That's why I want to keep stressing the idea that what we're talking about with theologians is we're talking about worship. It's not just an academic enterprise. It's, it's worship. Now, now, part of the problem with this, I think, at times, is there's been confusion, right? There's like people kind of get in there and they taint the idea and they load it with things and that messes it all up. So I want us to understand when we say missional theologian, we mean something by a theologian. And I'm going to try to spell out the difference here. First of all, there is the idea of religion or religious people. And religion or religious people, that's about ideology, all right? That's people-centeredness. That's how do people respond to ideas. That's religion. And for some of us, we have tasted of theology in a religious context. Where from that, it misses the mark. It misses the spirit. It misses the tone. For example, religious theology is the studying of God for academic teaching. And so it's people in ivory towers that write thick books and try to make you seem like you're not that bright. It's some dude in a tweed jacket with a bad comb over and he has a vocabulary from Vulcan, right? And you're like, I don't even know what the dude's saying. I know ology and I know ism. I don't know the six-syllable word on the front of that, right? Now, there's a time and a place and a context for that clarity. There is. But sometimes it's held over us intentionally. Like it's a science that we're not supposed to really dip into. See, that's religious theology. Christian theology, on the other hand, is not about the studying of God for academic teaching, but 
It's being students of God for worshipful learning. Right? It's so that we can be humbled by the God that we see. So as we see His heart, see His character, see His calling, see His mission, see His purpose, see His promises to us, we go, that's the God I want to know. I'm a student of that God. I'm hungry for that God. I need more of that God. I want clarity so I can grow deeper in love with that God. That, that's good Christian theology. And what that means for us then as theologians is that this isn't about ideology, but it is about doxology, God-centeredness. And some of you may go, all right, you've already thrown an ology at me, that doxology thing, man. What's the deal with that? Well, if you grew up in any kind of formal church, you would read the doxology or be a part of the doxology. That word dox on the front means glory, honor. It's this idea of worship. Again, why are we theologians? So our ology can be gloriology, honorology, worshipology. That's the heart of the theologian. And so when we say as a church, we're missional, we're saying we're going, we're in our culture, for our culture, loving our city with the grace of God, for the glory of God. But again, for the glory of God is key. Therefore, we're theologians given to worshipology. And so that's why we want to know our God. That's why we want to be serious about our Bibles. We have a Bible and we're not afraid to use it by God. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so we want to make those investments and care in those ways. And you know what? I think we all get this. I think we all know the importance of uh, being a theologian and making that investment. Because I was thinking about this in my life in a completely different context. I realized this week I am an Ellenologist. I study eleology, and um, it's really simple, right? So I, 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 I kind of watch my wife, and I try to understand my wife, and I check her rhythm and movement as well as her thinking and concepts, and I kind of look and I go, wow, I, I know what she likes, and I know what she does not like, and I take note of that, and I know what pushes her buttons, and I stay way far away from buttons, and, um, and I know what lights her fires, and I'm a dude, so I want to light fires, so, um, you know, so... I'm, I'm constantly going, how can I know her better, know her more, understand her so that I might celebrate her, enjoy her. And when I do that, when I take the time to know my wife, invest in my wife, make that sense of commitment that plays out in action, my life goes better too, right? It goes better because I go, man, I get her more. And so I'm enjoying hanging out with her and spending time and doing things and celebrating that. It's the same with us and Jesus, the more we know him, the more we know what he likes and he doesn't like, what he wants and doesn't want, that kind of thing, it helps. Be because then we go, oh, I'm, I'm connected. See, what this requires of us is three things. Requires logos, ethos, and pathos. These are three Greek ideas in philosophy and history and everything else. And it's the idea of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Right? That, that we want to make those investments. If we're going to be theologians that make that investment, we need to do it that way. That's the rhythm of the theologian. Where we're working, where we're willing, where we're wanting, all of that combined makes us theologians. And so just as I'm an Ellenologist, I want to be a Jesiologist and a Godologist and a Spiritologist. And that's, that's what we're about as a church. And so what does that look like, and how do we play out those three features? Well, first of all, the logos 
of the theologian, the word of the theologian, the book of the theologian, right? We're talking about our Bible, right? And that's where I say, bring your Bible, know your Bible, read your Bible, listen to those who teach the Bible, read books that speak about the Bible, because what, right in this context with the logos of the theologian, we're talking about the student. We're talking about the person that says, I want to look at my Bible so I know of God. How God describes himself and who he is and what he wants. And so from this you go, I just want to know it. I want to know it. And so Paul talks about the Bible and he talks about knowing the Bible. Uh, In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, which means it has value, it has worth. Just like God, it's weighty. It's profitable for teaching who God is, who Christ is, who spirit is, who church is, who, uh, what the gospel is, what the kingdom's all about, what hell is, what heaven is. It tells us it is profitable for teaching. It's also profitable for reproof. Don't do that. That is stupid. And stupid hurts. It tells us that. It's also profitable for correction. That's good, but it's not great. Maybe do something instead. And it is profitable for training in righteousness. Do it this way. This way is better. Why? So so the man of God may be complete, competent, whole together. People go, I I just want to feel complete. Well, this is a great way to do it. Right? To really invest into the word, right? To be complete. To be complete, perfect, and whole. Right? That's where we're going. It's just equipped for every good work. Every good work. See, the Bible isn't just information. There, there are some people who do that. There are some people that aren't looking as theologians, but as more like religious theologists, right? And, and so they come and they study their Bible. And as they do so, they do so with one goal, and that is to beat everybody around them with it. And, and we don't want to be that way. That is not our mission. That is not our heart, right? We don't want to just compile God data, Because if we just compile God data and then what we do is we go to a group, all we do is then dogpile on everybody else, right? With our God data, sometimes as posers or thugs or punks that just discourage more than encourage. And we don't want to do that. What we want to do is say, man, I am giving myself to all scripture because it is, it is profitable. It's profitable. It helps me see God clearly so I can be like God humbly. In fact, Jesus prayed about this in John 17, just before he died. He says, make them holy by your truth. He's thinking about his disciples. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. When we get into the Bible, when we read it, know it, and understand God, it's designed again, like I said, to make us humble. So we are shaped more into the image of God. That's why we have to be invested. If we're not invested into it, who, who knows where we're going? Who who knows what we're worshiping? Who knows who we're praying to if we're not investing to get it right? In fact, I was thinking about this um, recently. It was kind of a weird night. I'm sure you've done this before, probably when your kids started driving or or there was just something maybe in your life or whatever. Um, I remember I was home one night and Ellen was out with friends and it was kind of late. And she she I thought she was going to be home about an hour before. And she wasn't. Have you ever done that thing where you've already buried your spouse? Right? 
And, and, and so I, I'm laying there in bed. She's like, she should have been here an hour ago. She's not here. What, 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 what if this? And what if that? And then you start to go through um, all of the I'll never get a chance to again things. Right? So I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to get a chance again to, before we go to bed, just to hug my wife. You know, and, and, and as I always do, just go down and, and just kiss the top of her head before we go to bed. I always love to kiss the top of her head, that beautiful red hair of my wife's. And I'll never look into her big brown eyes and count all of the freckles on her ivory skin ever again. You know, I was really like getting choked up about this. And my wife was really offended because she's like, wait a minute, I'm a brunette and you've never kissed the top of my head. And I have blue eyes and not many freckles. And I don't have ivory skin, milky white, sure, ivory, no. Right? So in other words, really touching, really sweet, really caring, wrong woman. Why is the Bible important? We want to get our God right. No matter how sweet, caring, sincere the story is, if it's not who he is. It's not who he is. So the theologian, first and foremost, gives themselves to the word, the book. And, and, and for us as a church, again, this is where I can push things like the regroups. Get in a regroup. Come on Sunday morning. Get plugged into Friday Night Live for our young adults if you don't have that. A uh, cool thing we're going to do in 2012, we're going to do a read-through of the entire Bible in chronological order in 2012. And we picked 2012 because the Mayans say the world will end in 2012. So we figured we should read our Bible before the world ends. So um, I think it's a great plan, actually. So um, just, just little things like that, though, where we just, man, I'm going to commit myself to growing and learning so I can know God, so I worship God as God describes himself to be. That is the logos of the theologian. The second thing is the ethos of the theologian, the character, the commitment, all right? Uh, where the first idea was that of being a student, the second idea is that of more friendship and that idea of really locking in. Uh, the first one is about knowing it. The second one is about really doing it, right? Living out what the Bible says. That is the spirit and essence of the ethos of the theologian. So you get engaged with these things. And you see this with Paul as he goes into the community of Thessalonica. In the book of Acts, he rolls into this town. Early on, there's just revival and revolt at the same time, right? So he preaches the word of God in the marketplace. People come to Christ, but then other people very mad, just flaming angry. And Paul has to ditch town fast. He's maybe there like three to four weeks. Changed. I take it I'm being loud at this point. Is that correct? Or is my microphone still on? Okay, just want to make sure. I wasn't sure. So, so this is what it says then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where he writes back to them, right? And, and it's really how they've been changed. And so he says in verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, right? That is the ethos, right? So they hear the word, the logos, but then, boy, it resonates, and they grab it with conviction. So much conviction, it says in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. In other words, it wasn't like, what's a Christian? How do I become one? Because Joel Osteen says my life will be easier. 
what it was was, hey, you guys should become a Christian because you're going to get your face kicked in. That's how they came to Christ. But boy, they received it with conviction, even in the spirit of affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so they became an example. An example, and not just in their community, in their entire region. Right? So much so that as the apostles were going around and they're sharing with other cities and trying to encourage other Christians, you know what? The news had already traveled that those people in Thessalonica, they had bought into the gospel, man. They had owned it. And so there was no need to say anything, it says. That's ethos. That's buy-in. That's not just believing in mentality. That's burrowing down in commitment and saying, I'm fully in. That's, that's them. That's the ethos of the theologian. For those of us married in this room, we experience this often in our marriages, all right? The the initial word of our marriages, the logos of our marriage was the vows we made. I promise to love, honor, and cherish. The ethos hits when it's poor, sickness, all of that junk that happens at times, right? Where you go, wow, this this is a real mess in our marriage, but... But I'm, I'm going to take the word that I spoke and live out the ethos that I, I'm committed to. And I'm, I'm going to keep loving, honoring, and cherishing. Even though it's the season of worse. Even though it's the season of loss. Even though it's the season of frustration. Even though it's the season of bitterness. I, I'm going to do that. See, that, that is what the theologian is called to. To know the word and to do the word. To understand who God is and then follow through on what God wants. That's what it means to be... A theologian. But then this goes to a third and final concept that is always a challenge, I think, in our lives. The pathos of the theologian. The emotion. The experience. It's not just the working. It's not just the willing. It's the wanting. It's the hunger. It's the thirst. It's the passion. That's what we're really talking about. And this is where all theologians want to go. Any theologian that stops short, they're missing out. They're missing the goal, which is this thing that says there is something inside of me that must be expressed. There is this want in me that wants my God, right? That is really the the, the final destination of all theologians by God's calling and purpose. Sometimes it gets lost and forgotten. We think it's just, again, school. It's not just school. Not at all. And again, it's not just knowing it. It's not just owning it. It's where it owns you. It owns you. You look at Jesus, for example, and it's not just he's a historical character and I've studied that or he gave commands that I should live and so I do that. It's where we look at Jesus and we say, he is the Lord that I want to fight for, the hero that I want to cheer for, the lover that I want to long for. And so I do. I do. It's where I am unashamed and unafraid and want more. It's an obsession of life. Where what happens is he grabs a hold of that deepest part of us, that real part of us, that agent in us that is the worshiper. And he says, I sit on the throne alone. And we go, yes, you do. And so, yes, I worship. It's where the mind and the will just are infiltrated by him. And we say, God is so satisfying. 
See, I think about this like with David. I mean, David was a guy that, I mean, the, the guy, I'm honest, I read him, and every time I read him, I, I'm like, he needs lithium. He needs medication because he's just, you know, just like this. I mean, honestly, I like therapists, he would rocket through therapists like five a year, you know, because he is just so on all the time. But, but even that is worship. When he's angry, 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 it's still, and he goes, but God, you need to fix this in me. He's desperate for it. Right? That is also worship. I love this Psalm 139 where he says, he's crying out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart, man. Pry me open. Tear it up. Let me see what's going on here. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, he says. He says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I love that. That is worship. And you go, no, that's confession. I go, no, that's worship. Because he's desperate for God. Only God can fix it. That's worship. See, worship isn't just, I praise you, thank you, adore you. Worship is, I'm dirty and broken and incomplete and imperfect and I need you. That's worship too. That's why David was such a great worshiper. Because he was desperate for God to step in and deal with him. I love this in Psalm 27. He says, listen, God, I am calling at the top of my lungs. Be good to me and answer me. He says, when my heart whispered, seek God, my whole being replied, I seek him. I love this. It's like there's this thing in him that says, oh, oh, dude, you're going sideways, man. Seek God. And there was this thing that ruptured in him. says, "I, I, I seek him. I seek him. I want him. See, that's where we want to be. It doesn't mean we're there yet, but it's where we want to be. That is the journey of the theologian. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water. The guy's desperate. And by the way, this guy wasn't some wuss. This guy was a king. He was a warrior. He had spilled blood. He was a man, man of men. I mean, this guy was a stud. And desperate, desperate, desperate for God. That, that's, that's the theologian that worships. That, that's what we want to be as a people. Missional theologians. Bringing the logos, the ethos, and the pathos together. It's the flight to God is what we're talking about. That's all we're talking about. This is the flight to God. As much as you read like in the book of Exodus, the flight from Egypt. The flight from Egypt was the flight to God. And sometimes our Christianity is more about the flight from Egypt. Say no to this, don't do that, that's wrong, that's bad, that's guilt, that's shame, that's whatever. And so it's all about the not-to-dos, forgetting the to-dos are a flight to God. Not just a flight from Egypt. And the flight to God is really a flight to God where we are worshipers. Worshipers because we're theologians. Now on this I want to say, um, it is not a linear ride. I'm just going to be totally blunt. If you go, oh, this is just onward and upward. I just start going through the layers of the, the word and then commitment and then passion. This is just on. No, it's not. It's not like that. That's why I use David as the example. Here, here, here's what happens in the life of the theologian. Um, as you grow and develop, there are times of perfect clarity and then other times where it's completely obscured. And there are times where you are certain about these things and there are other times you question it all. 
And there are other times there is deep conviction. And then other times where there's so much confusion, you don't even know if you can have conviction. There are times where there's joy and there's times where there's anger. There are times where you go, oh man, I am so on fire. And there are other times that you are as solid and cold as ice. It is like a shotgun blast. But, but in that whole ugly, beautiful, spiritual jazz, there are these moments where, where God implants something and it really sticks and you just get it. You just get it. And while you have other seasons of up and down and yaw and pitch and just crazy and beautiful, these things stick that make you a more anchored worshiper, a more anchored theologian. In fact, I have a theologian in mind I want to share with you. In fact, I want to bring up his picture right now. Um, this is uh, my friend Peter. That's his wife Amanda, and that's Ethan and Claire. Uh, I've known Peter for about 20 years. And, and this year he became a very profound theologian for me. Um, Pete's a guy, very smart, was training to be a pastor when I was just starting to train pastors. I left that church in about a year after I had left kind of had some hardship in his training program and uh, decided he didn't want to be a pastor, decided instead to get into medicine. And so he uh, ended up involved in oncology, uh, did very well, very smart guy, very focused. And as he went through that whole journey, uh, you know, had highs and lows with God, pros and cons, clarity, confusion, angry, happy, all of that kind of thing. Um, and, and then just kept doing his career and eventually ran an oncology clinic, was uh, involved in kind of cancer crusading against cancer in Redding, California, and was also a part of like city council, that kind of thing. Very profound guy. I want to bring up another picture. This is a picture of Pete just a couple of months ago, just before he died of cancer. And so this is like a really dear friend of mine. I did his memorial just about a month ago. And, um, and, and so it's when life is all dumb that the real beauty of the theologian comes into play and, and where those little things you pick up can make a difference. And so here's this friend of mine who literally a year ago, a year ago, was on top of the world completely, 35 years old, great marriage, great kids, great job, great investment into the community, and a part of a very noble cause. Right? Literally a year ago. And a cancer that to this day, they don't even know what it is. Just grabbed hold and rattled him. And, and I shared this story recently where I had called him and he says, you know, Matt, God spoke to me really vividly. And he says, I'm about to do something very painful in your life for my glory and your good. And, and, and so in talking to Pete and talking to Amanda and everything else, I, I, I was able to see some of that and understand what a real theologian is, which is a worshiper regardless, and then picks up little things that click. What's interesting about this, and this is kind of where I close, is um, just a couple of days before Peter died, he and his wife shot a video. And to, to set the stage, Peter had lost his voice a few days before this video, and he couldn't raise his arms, he couldn't use his arms, uh, because of the way the cancer was through his neck and his shoulders, and they'd taken out a lot of bone, uh, and there was a lot of problems with his throat, and the cancer was everywhere. Um, and there was this night where God did something. And the heart of the theologian is what I want you to hear. 
in the next five and a half minutes. It's just the heart of, of the theologian. It's Friday, August 12th, and we were just wanting to kind of document what God's doing, the work He's doing in our lives right now. Just progress in the cancer that's in my body. My arm has been in a sling for probably the last two weeks. And in great deal of pain. Great deal of pain. I, could, I would have to lift my arm up just to do something like this. And yet God, through His provision, is just, He's healing me slowly. Not fast, but slowly so that I can, I can do this. He's <laughs> giving glory what He's doing in my life. And I'm changing my heart to focus on Him. Him be the glory, not, not anything else. Whether he takes my life or he keeps it, it's all for his glory. And I just praise him that I can do this. I just look forward to seeing what he's going to continue to do. But again, whether that's on earth or in heaven, to him be the glory. Oh, man. And we were saying, even if he heals you for one more day, one more we're minute. thankful. We're thankful for one more day. One more day with our kids, one more day with each other. It's all a blessing. Yeah. It's it's better than anything life can give. Amanda and I have had such an awesome evening. We've just been here at the house, dancing, praying, listening to music, and just praising our Lord Jesus for all that he's done in our lives. And now he takes schmucks like us he makes stupid decisions and choices in life and just turns them. He, he uses those to bring us to our knees so that we can see every trial is actually a blessing. And only when you go through that trial can you understand it's a blessing. And the world will never understand that. You have to go through <laughs> it to experience it so that you can even understand what this means. I'm not a guy just waving my arms. I'm a guy that's praising the Lord because he's doing great things. And he's going to continue to do great things. He wants to do it in all of our lives. But we have to Amen. We have to submit. And sometimes we submit willingly and sometimes we don't. But it's all. It's coming from a heart where he wants to bring us into connection with him so that we can enjoy His presence. So, nothing more than, I'm just happy to be a guy who's got stage cancer. I don't even know what kind of cancer it is. And I can wave my arm. And I wasn't even being able to wave it. Two days ago, even this morning, God's so good. And just enjoying the Lord right now. Just praise God that He's divine. He's bigger than this world. And that this is not all we have to look forward to. Oh, all we have. This is nothing. You know, I'm a 35-year-old guy just enjoying my bride. You know, don't know what the future's going to hold. 
But God is so good. And I'm excited. Just this moment. Not about the future. Not about a minute ago. But just right now. Because God is in the moment. He wants us to enjoy this moment. And I've been made weak. So that He is strong. And I pray, God, more of you, less of me. And in order for that to happen, He has to drain me. And He has to bring me low in order for you to become more of Him. He must always have supremacy. He doesn't share His glory with anyone. He's shared with no one. He is God and God alone. And I praise Him for that. Because I've fought against that for years. There's times I question that. And I question God, why do you why do you allow things to happen? It just seems so illogical. But you know what? I don't have everything up here. That's when you're brought low. And Christ is brought up. Let things start to come into clarity. And then you start to understand. There's so much more than what I can see. What the mind can comprehend. He's God. Not me. He's God. So again, I just, I'm a guy just waiting my arm. Got cancer. Don't know what's going to happen. But I've had, I've had a wonderful time with the Lord. I might say this is a permanent heal. But for this second right now, I'm praising the Lord. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's why I say theologians aren't necessarily academics. They're just people that are God-centered. That's it. And from that God-centeredness, no matter what their situation, they can say, He is God and I am not. He is good and I praise Him. See, that's what we're called to be as missional theologians. Let's pray together. Jesus... I thank you for my friend Peter. I guess first I say say hello to him as he worships you now. And I thank you for the reminder of what it means to be completely committed to you, completely sold out for you, not when it's good, but when it is in some ways the darkest hours of life. I pray that these things will resonate and we will be people of your word and people of commitment and people of passion. That we will be the truest form of theologians that are desperate for you and long to know you and walk with you because we want so desperately to worship you. As we prepare right now, Jesus, for our time of offering and communion, I pray that even these are tokens of our investment in worship, that they're not just acts that we do. We don't just pass a bucket to give money. We don't just pass plates with bread and juice because they're the thing to do, but rather we do those because we've invested into eternity because you have invested into us so that we might be invested into eternity. And so as we sing, as we give, as we prepare to partake 
It's all worship. We do so as your missional theologians who want you and we want others to know you as well. We love you, Jesus, and thank you in your awesome name. Amen.